Hi, everybody. Welcome and thanks for joining our, uh, well, third conversation um, related to the virus um, from Notel. We, um, we do a lot with workplaces all around the world, and um, we've been sharing what we know. We, we have been preparing for some number of weeks for the current situation, and um, I guess it's, uh, it's going to be a long-lasting situation and in a lot of different ways. Today's conversation is perhaps the one that looks furthest into the future. On Monday, we, um, we spoke about productivity in work from home, and uh, yesterday we spoke about uh, safety and operations continuity. Both of those um, discussions, we recorded them. Uh, we have links to them um, in some of the email confirmations that we've sending, been sending, and they're on the landing pages of the previous webinars if you want to watch those later on, on YouTube. And uh, we'll do that for this one. We'll also publish them all as audio only on, um, on our podcast. We have this podcast, Hello, Hello, which you can find on uh, Spotify and on, on Apple, um, where we share things about uh, what makes no-tell work. Uh, usually it's a conversation with, with one of our people, as we have today. We have Joseph Muscarella, one of the most important people in our company. Um, he's in charge of, well, we call it product, uh, but you sort of come from a, a certain place, don't you? Workplace design and uh, how offices should operate. Yep. Hi, Joseph. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm, you know, much more than yesterday's conversation. I'm looking forward to this one. Our last couple topics were rather serious. And uh, tomorrow we also have quite a serious one. If folks want to join, there's a boardroom and C-suite conversation that's certainly happening. And for those of you in charge of workplaces, um, you have the opportunity to be a contributor to that. Um, and we have some ideas on ways, ways that you can be both on offense and defense. I think a lot of people have been thinking in defensive mode, but there are affirmative things you can do um, to help your people and to help your balance sheet and to help your company. Uh, and we'll talk about those tomorrow. But today, um, we're going to try to look ahead. It's a day that almost 100% of the offices and workplaces that we run around the world are shut. Everyone's on work from home. On Monday, it was about 80% of our companies between Berlin and Paris and New York and Los Angeles, Tokyo and Delhi, just spanning the earth. Um, on Monday, about 80% of those offices that companies were running uh, were already on work from home. Uh, and I suspect we're close to 100% today. And therefore, an interesting day to talk about <clears throat> the workplace, which I guess today is your house, Joseph. And uh, <laughs> at some point, if all goes according to plan, we'll be back together. Yes. Uh, in a, in a beautiful workplace, uh, doing things together. So I'm, I'm so glad to have such a big expert on this. Joseph, you've probably been thinking a little bit. I mean, the, uh, the workplace of the past, which I suppose we were just cranking out for companies all around the world these last few years, uh, why don't we start with that as a baseline? You know, What were some of the fresh ideas that we thought Notel was bringing to companies to help them get more stuff done? And from that as a base, maybe we'll explore the future. But you know, let's say we were with a client three months ago and we sit down and we're like, hey, we're going to really help you here. We're going to put you in a new place where all your people are going to just be so happy and so productive. Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. So one of the, I think one of the big things that we were always, um, you know, hitting home on was that there's always a level of unpredictedness when it comes to planning um, a workplace or a workspace and making sure that it is 
as adaptable as possible for whatever the future holds uh, was always kind of core to what uh, we do from the workplace strategy um, and planning phase when we have um, a customer come onto our platform. So it was it was trying to make sure that we were always um, mapping the the customer journey or the workspace journey inside of our interiors and making sure that those activities and interactions, at least from a a day one perspective and maybe day 100 perspective, could all be kind of accommodated inside of a unique workplace. Um, So that's... Right. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of our standard spiel, right? It's like, no tell, flexible, you can change your office make it bigger, make it smaller, or make it work differently. And I guess that adaptability theme is, is something that folks don't always appreciate. Uh, rejigger it, make it more quiet, make it louder, make it more or less social, that sort of thing, right? I mean, you've been a big part of that geometry uh, product that we've been creating. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so the geometry uh, line of workplace uh, furniture is really a way where we allow kind of no tells workplace strategy uh, to become physically manifested in kind of a non fixed asset. Um, so it's it's how do we kind of take the learnings that we've had in the in the in the bulk of our clients inside of our spaces and and figure out what are those levers or those movable parts that allow for ultimate freedom inside of the workplace when it comes for planning. And we always had this kind of framework where we were thinking about um, the idea of um, compartmentalizing kind of planning and your activities around the idea of what can be affected uh, at minutes, in hours, or in days. Uh, And so some of the things that wound up driving the decisions behind creating furniture that was flexible and adaptable was this idea of, you know, what as um, a user inside of a space can you do in a minute or two to adjust the way that you're working, Um, whether that's turning your desk around or being able to um, accommodate or create a new lounge or soft seating area. Um, And then what could we affect at the hour standpoint from a no-tell kind of operations perspective who, you know, inside of the space can help you um, to at least rearrange and and make your space more useful or impactful for the work that you're doing. Yeah, and you're talking about more than than just furniture. Um, you do need the right kind of desks and chairs and furniture and all that yeah. to be able to move it around. And you do need the right kind of mindset and help to to think about how you want it arranged. But I guess the the trend that we tagged along with that has been a really big part of our work uh, over the last couple of years. And we even built our own products for this. We're we're building rooms that you can assemble on site and move around. You got phone booths, you've got conference rooms, you can take them apart and put them together and replace construction with sort of the thought and agility and adaptability was one of the benefits. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's the kind of like those those types of products, those that wall system or the phone booth like spaces that um, we we were able to give people inside of a space. ultimately winds up tying back to that piece of the fact that like working remotely is kind of like a new normal. And and over the last probably 10 years, we've seen kind of how companies in, um, in workspace have adapted to serving both the needs of the person who is serving remotely, but also has to come in, in, in person sometimes. And so, you know, I think that changed maybe the definition around what is public and what is private. And maybe, you know, 
not every conversation has to be happen um, in a closed, you know, pretty Loctite silent conference room. So with geometry, we had a wall system. We have a wall system that allows you to to create that step down, that that in between space between public and private. Like maybe you're not having an HR conversation inside of this room, but you're certainly able to get work done that's effective um, in a space that's responsive to your needs. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of eerie rehearsing some of our key themes because <laughs> inside <laughs> some of those ideas about porous borders, fluidity, social spaces. Yeah. Oh man, I'm just thinking virus. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the sort of dominant workplace strategy of the recent few years that I think most of our listeners would not attach to, they probably wouldn't say these words, but the dominant workplace strategy is no longer open office. Open office has been kind of yeah. toast for a while. I think a lot of people still do walk into a space that feels open and they say, oh, this is open office. But I think more than 80% of what we deploy uh, is something closer to activity-based working, or I don't know if that's the term that you would use, yeah? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think think that the the kind of reaction to the open workplace, I mean, there's the literally no walls partition hard build, and then there's... um, there's a way to use fixed and non-fixed assets to, to create and develop an interior that um, mm-hmm. allows for both. Yeah. So like there's, uh, I guess we call them, what do we call them? Settings. Yeah. Uh, you got your cafe kind of setting. You got your heads down setting. You have your sort of informal meeting with the big table, but it's way out in the open. Yep. Small rooms, big rooms, uh, right next to your desk. There's like a little poof that someone could sit down on and talk to you for five minutes. These are some of the settings, right? And then some of the percentage of the desking may not be dedicated. So, you know, I actually, in our office, don't have one desk. I kind of float a little bit. And I do have places where I store things. And that does create a kind of fluidity of teams. And, you know, again, there's a kind of eerie dimension to this. because The whole point of all this kind of design was get people moving around in front of each other, sort of make it easy. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of... The, the workplace strategy that we wind up defining with settings ultimately falls on some spectrum, right, of that what is public and what is private. And so when you have a diverse mix of that, that's kind of tied to at least the, the categorical need of workspace that um, the, the users inside of the space are, are working in, um, the more you can allow for those points of interaction, um, like you were saying, an ancillary lounge, um, is the reason why sometimes, you know, workplace strategy around the open office works so well, right? Um, you, the, the open office is not dead or going away, but there's, there's different ways to think about it. And I think, you know, making sure that you have those spaces that encourage interaction because ultimately like the best business and the best uh, strategy that happens within companies all comes down to the level of interaction and the culture that plays out. So making sure that you have those varying degrees of workplace strategy within your um, interior is, you know, going to continue to be a a large point. Yeah. We're going to have to find out what continues. So here's a way to test. So we've set the backdrop a little bit about uh, what I think the avant-garde thinking is in excellent offices. And this isn't the first time there's been a big change in office. The way office works changes all the time. And there are these kind of blueprints of what an office looks like in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. You're not going to put a cubicle farm in an office anymore, but that used to be the vogue. 
Yeah. Um, but, and, you know, some of the things that change that are the use of technology, you know, desktop computer becomes a laptop computer, changes the way your worker wants to work. Uh, telephone becomes a mobile phone, uh, video conferencing changes. So some of it is technology that's changing the way we work, sure. But there are these exogenous shocks that come along from time to time. And I think there's a couple of nice ones uh, to think about. One is, um, well, there was a moment where suddenly cybersecurity became super, super important. Your computers are all connected. It changed a lot of protocols in the office. Uh, it just mattered. Uh, you probably couldn't tell by looking, but it changed a lot of the protocols for access control. Uh, and then there's another one, and this one is in, you know, sadly, in I think a lot of people's memories, it's when terrorism became a thing. It just wasn't a thing. And then after 2001, it was a very, very big thing around the way people managed the capsule around their workplaces. And a lot of that responsibility went to building managers, the folks who manage access to the building, disaster recovery response, et cetera. And some of that reflected in the workplace. Um, and if you think about those two things, they're not gone. The consequences of uh, cybersecurity preparedness and anti-terrorism, well, those things aren't gone. Those are still core to how people design office. Well, let's consider for a moment that the virus will not be gone. Right. That the notion of biosafety is just going to be really important uh, yeah. for a long time. And maybe we can learn from an example of a place, uh, a workplace, um, where they're way, where the needle's all the way at maximum on biosafety. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about, let's say, the principles that go into, into hospital design, an emergency room, a place where you have invited a lot of sick people to come and you don't want them to get each other sick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, in a, in a Corona world that we are, we're going to be, you know, living in or and continue to live in, um, you, you would obviously be looking to healthcare and in a hospital design and, and how, um, kind of the, the built environment and truly the, the systems that go behind it. It's, that's the, the data stuff that not everyone is privy to, but that's the, the engineering that goes into these spaces. So can I, I can only assume that, you know, the, the conversation will start to um, move towards what does the, the conference room um, HVAC system work uh, like in this, in this post um, uh, workspace environment. Um, you know, air quality and control is a big thing. We, we want to make sure that we're always, you know, setting, setting the bar for things like that uh, in the workplace, because at the end of the day, um, it's always striking a balance between, you know, you're bringing in the fresh air, you, um, you're consuming energy, but the more fresh air inside of a workplace, the better health um, and safety standards you have. Um, I would also think that, you know, a reception or um, elevator lobbies and things like this will, you know, engineers and architects are going to be looking at this in a, in a, in a different way, right? Um, these things that are probably traditionally looked uh, at from a um, occupancy-based standard. Um, now I think maybe we're going to start looking at those occupancy-based standards changing for, you know, lobbies and conference rooms and, um, you know, what is the airflow rate? How much negative space are we creating? Um, and the pressurization inside of the building. But I don't want to get too far into the engineering pieces of that, but... Um, yeah, well, let's like take them one by one and take apart a hospital into, the, into its components and inspect it, right? So like uh, air circulation, when we do it in an office, 
it's about temperature. I guess, you know, we sort of think about these days, yeah. uh, not in old buildings, it's hard, but we also think about oxygen. Uh, just the levels of oxygen are kind of lower in old buildings. And so we try to help on that. Yeah. Um, we do think about like sound and privacy, but uh, there are a lot of conference rooms where the ventilation system is just a hole in the wall, more or less connecting it to the next conference room because that's the one with the air conditioning in it. Yeah. Uh, and it's moving air around, right? And I guess hospitals both have um, some kind of like just more circulation, but also more filtering. And then maybe on top of that, no circulation, like negative pressure situation. Yes. Are those, yeah. Is that that's how to think about it? Can you describe each of those, th- those three things? Yeah. So like I said before, like first what's winds up getting set up is that it's occupancy based, right? So it's certain rates of airflow associated with the space and then the occupancy for it. And then again, it's, it's taking those calculations and making sure that there's a right balance of fresh air that's coming in versus the fresh air that's going out with a hospital room. Um, so say treatment, OR trauma, that negative space or space pressurization is, is basically saying that there is more air getting sucked out of the room that's getting put into the room at all times, right? So that the, the air isn't getting recirculated inside of the space. It's actually, there is an exchange rate happening, you know, and that's kind of something that it doesn't uh, just float around. It's like you're running exactly. a vacuum cleaner on the top of the building and blowing clean air in at the bottom of the building. Yes, that would be a good analogy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's like you live in an apartment building and you can smell someone smoking three floors below (laughs) because you can walk them along. I mean, that's more or less, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about surfaces. So I want to skip electrical because I I don't know. Should we talk about electrical? Can you see like a, because that's another big complicated system in most offices and buildings. Electrical and data. Is there an obvious connection there? To the the aftermath? I don't think so. Yeah, let's do surfaces. I mean, that one's like real obvious, right? We've been moving towards uh, soft surfaces, wood, natural materials. I haven't seen like, I haven't seen a lot of wood in the hospital emergency rooms that I've been to. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yeah. So moving towards more non-porous pieces that hopefully have some, you know, post-recycled content so that we're, we're, we are kind of constantly thinking about that sustainability piece and and how much we're impacting from the, the decommissioning of space sometimes, but. Yeah, I think surface and... So, but do we lose couches as a result of that? Like, can't we... Um, no, I think we're probably... Uh, so one of, the, one of the certifying organizations that we use um, when specifying or sourcing furniture, ACT certified, um, there are different fiber contents that are, you know, able to be treated or are, you know, bleach or solution cleanable. So thinking about kind of those things... Um, so that you can keep the integrity and the beauty of fabric and whatnot, but still have that um, antimicrobial um, component to them so that we are thinking about those kind of health needs that arise with something that's kind of a high-use object, like a sofa in a reception, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, glass, stainless steel, uh, perhaps post-consumer recycled um, yeah. sort of plastics and things like that for, mm-hmm. for surfaces and for seating. Yeah. So those are desks, those are big tables, those are walls, those are um, decorative panels and materials, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, tied to the majority of the kind of um, fit out or interior design spend that usually goes into um, into the spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, 
reception as a concept, yes. it's a thing. It's like <laughs> a landing spot as people come into a, into a workspace. It's a place to be greeted, to understand what's going on with the company. You might be waiting with some other people there. Um, how long do people wait in workspaces versus doctor's offices or emergency rooms? How closely packed are they? Um, like, you think that thing needs to get redesigned? I think it, it, it should probably, in a way, uh, be at the forefront of facilities and maintenance um, and also kind of customer experience, right? Um, there are things that we can employ, actually going back to your thing about um, lighting, right? There are occupancy sensors and things that we can integrate into lighting that are kind of non-disruptive or um, non-visual inside of a space. So we're not, you know, detracting from the overall beauty of the space, but we're, we're able to actually run metrics or data off of what's going on and, and the utilization of space and maybe... Um, in the future, we'll be tying that more closely to, you know, tailoring the facilities and maintenance around those types of areas. You know, when we do realize or we, we set boundaries around the sensors and say, okay, if it goes over a certain load, we know that we have to do an additional cleaning this week on, on set area. Yeah, 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 so it's great to kind of tech buy it almost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there are things we can do to help us. I mean, I guess... Um, Reception is not the largest area in a company. Uh, I think a lot of it is the seating. It's probably half. And when you do like activity-based design where, you know, there's, there's your desk, there's the meetup spaces and, and all that, it's actually a lot less desking than the old school uh, office, I guess. Because yeah. um, there's just more interaction areas. So let's tackle the, the sort of heads-down dedicated desk areas. Uh, there has been a trend. Uh, it's probably a 30-year trend of, square feet per person. Back in the day, I guess it was 200 and something square feet per person. And, and these days when Notel does an office, uh, we'll do a workplace design of, let's say, 120, 140. Yep. And there are some very, um, well, I mean, thank God we're not in the co-working business, but I think the co-working folks will put you in a bunch of little slots next to each other at, say, 60 or 70 square feet per person. Yeah, roughly like that. So densification, things are getting denser. There may have been the feeling a few years back that that would just continue and get to the you know the model that we've seen in in co-working. Uh, we do something that's much more of a traditional uh, workplace. Um, what do you think? What's going to happen? Densification up, down. I think you'll probably see it increase. I think when you look to some of the countries that are probably leading the pack in in the kind of increasing the densification and really thinking about um, the internal health and safety of uh, buildings and the end user, I mean, you know, we have a completely different workplace strategy model, uh, you know, employed in our offices in Berlin because the government actually does put higher standards against densification and how many desks and just how far they need to be from each other. Um, and then there's things around passive airflow and the fresh air exchange rate. So there are, there are other countries that are kind of leading the pack on that. And I would assume that people are going to start to look like, uh, you know, to places like Scandinavia and Berlin to kind of adopt more and more of those higher level standards. That's interesting. So the theme is like your system can help you keep at the level of densification we're roughly at. It's not like every desk is now going to be 12 feet from the next desk. Exactly. If, Correct. if you want to be cautious, you should just be moving air better. That's like a huge thing. And I suppose yeah. those desks, if it's my desk, you probably don't need to clean it 10 times a day. 
Um, <laughs> just keep cleaning it once a day the way we do for most of our customers. Yeah. Is that roughly right? So then let's talk about some of the more social or collaborative work environments. Yeah. Um, you know, the cafe, basically, with yeah. the small tables, that kind of format. What do you think is going to... What do you think is going to happen there? So we're going to change materials. Okay, we're going to improve ventilation and air movement and all that. Fine. Uh, we're going to have to clean it more often. Yep, service it more. Yeah. Are we going to design it differently? Like more space between tables? I was in a restaurant uh, a couple of days ago where every other table was just shut. They had <laughs> de-densified their restaurant. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think there's there's probably never going to be a one size fits all answer for a common space or or a common space off of a kitchen area, but there there definitely are kind of uh, design kind of limitations and restrictions. But I think at the end of the day, um, as long as you're tailoring it to the use of the occupant in a way that's reflective of their needs, that's almost the more important thing, right? Is to make sure that either it's addressing the occupancy correctly or the amount or type of work that would be done in those types of areas. Because like culturally, if, if maybe your office has more of that common like space and less of the conference, then those are going to be highly used. Then I would tell you to plan them and space them accordingly. Whereas if they were more of a low touch area, mm-hmm. right? And you may, you may just design them uh, to encourage better spaced out behavior. I think yeah. yeah, there could be plants and partitions and, and other things that divide up that keep you in a feeling of a convivial atmosphere where people are nearby, but perhaps a little less nearby. Absolutely. Let's do conference rooms for a minute. Um, yeah. A conference room reminds me of a doctor's office in a way. <laughs> and, you know, everyone's washing hands nine times in, in a doctor's office. Conference rooms, uh, you can't wash your hands at all. Uh, and you have no idea who is sitting at the table you're in five minutes before you just walk into a room, put your hands on the table and suddenly it's there. Uh, if there's someone in the room, it's a small enclosed environment often. Uh, are we going to, do we just got to amp up the airflow on these and change the, the materials on the table? I think so. I think a lot of it can be addressed um, via again. Yeah. Surfaces and, and primarily the airflow. I mean, when you are planning for the acoustics and and uh, the HVAC capacity inside of those spaces, there are there are minor adjustments that you can make. I mean, that could even mean you know I don't know if we ever we talked about like filtration or whatnot, but like adding a HEPA filter inside of the ductwork at those particular locations or UV light to to make sure that you're killing microbes and things like that. I'm sorry, my house phone's <laughs> going off. It's a spam, spam callers. <laughs> well, so if I'm listening correctly, if we get yeah. ourselves to some prescriptions, right? So let's say I'm in charge of my company's workplace somewhere. And I know there's, I know there's no one in there right now for the next several weeks. Yep. I might actually have an opportunity to make an intervention in the next, whatever, 30 days Absolutely. and change a bunch of stuff. Yep. I mean, you might call no tell because we might be able to help you with that. And you might order some geometry, who knows, but you could change a bunch of stuff. So that when people come back, maybe the kind of viral R naught coefficient of spread yeah. is just lower in some workplaces than in others, right? And so let's make our list. You told me uh, filters in the HVAC, more fresh airflow, and just volume of airflow as opposed to let's save energy and turn off the AC. You need yeah. some unconditioned fresh airflow. Uh, right. Surfaces that could be a thing you look at. You could, if you've got these porous surfaces, you could stick new surfaces on tables and common meeting spaces. Absolutely. Um, what else would you encourage? 
I mean, addressing the facilities and maintenance and maybe... And oh, maybe- amp up, just to amp up the cleaning schedule. I mean, as yeah. a general matter, it does not appear that a deep cleaning is a thing that matters. Uh, if no one's in the office and you clean it overnight, you actually haven't changed that much the next day. It's probably in the continuous flow. It's like at lunchtime, tables getting wiped down all, all day long, right? Uh, yeah. Life of the virus is not... It doesn't yeah. sit there for 48 hours on the, in the conference room, but it will sit there for five minutes. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's sitting back and really taking stock and saying, you know, where are my high touch points? Where, uh, where is deep work happening inside of a space? Where is less interaction happening and kind of maybe addressing or tailoring a strategy that's at least factually based on that level of activity or interaction? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a piece of work that we are going to start getting smarter about in these Absolutely. next few weeks. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think there will be a way to do an assessment of a workplace and uh, point out red flags and, and risk factors in its For design. Sure. I think it'll be along the themes that we're describing here. And there are certainly remedies. I mean, there are things you can do that you can probably place an order for now that will be sold out and take you three months to, to be delivered. <laughs> I suspect that uh, there are a bunch of things that can be done. Operational changes, but also workplace design build changes. Yeah. So it's quite encouraging. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, listen, at the end of the day, we're not able to predict the future and what and what will happen. But we know that, you know, the more adaptable uh, we are, the better off we are in the face of the unknown. Right. So mm-hmm. stay flexible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to bring it all the way back to home base. Thank you, Joseph, so much for uh, talking with me about this. Hopefully folks found it interesting and valuable. Uh, Feel free to write to us uh, if there are questions. We will post the the video if you want to share with your colleague. You can get that podcast on Hello, Hello. And we'll be on again tomorrow with uh, the C-suite and board level and a whole bunch of uh, balance sheet and P&L type topics. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks, guys.